In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Guys, are you struggling to understand what a father is and does? Are you questioning whether you're a good father or not? Do you bring baggage from your past into your fatherhood life? Guys, if any of those questions relate to you, you are gonna love today's episode with my good friend, Dr. Joe Martin. This is gonna be a game changer for all dads. God bless you and enjoy this episode. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. We salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. I'm Jim Ramos, the host of today's show, and your guide to helping you become the best version of the man, even in the stress bubble of life. Guys, uh, want to get into our man law before we get into our hero story and introduce our guest for today's show. So this week's man law comes from Robert Michael, and he said this, and I have to say I wholeheartedly agree. If I have to open it for you, I get the first taste. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Keep them coming, guys. Keep them coming. Hey, this week's hero stories from Greg in New Jersey. Greg writes this. I'm a Christian man working to live in a way that honors God. It wasn't always like this. I was raised Jewish and became Catholic for a relationship. Got married, got divorced, and after much searching, I found Jesus. Well done. After being diagnosed with stage four cancer, and I talked to him about a week ago, and he's still working through this. He's still fighting the fight. He said, I had to do some serious soul searching. I decided to quit my school superintendent job. This was very intimidating, but I prayed about it. I've grown tired of being a punching bag and having to compromise my integrity to keep the district running. Man, you educators, you are in the belly of the beast. So thank you, Christian educators. He continues. He says, I'm now on course to start after my treatment, of course, my faith-based law firm in New Jersey. I'll be doing family law, focusing on the gospel and doing what's right and not what's easy. Your show has given me a lot of courage to get off the sidelines and onto God's team. I appreciate the hard work you put in, and I appreciate the men that you are. Thank you, Greg, for that. Guys, uh, Greg and Robert, hit us up at info at menandarena.org with your physical address. We want to send you some swag just to say thank you. Stay in the fight, guys. Hey, guys, I'm excited to introduce you my old friend, Joe Martin. Dr. Martin is a widely known speaker and writer. He's devoted to building men. He serves as a guest columnist for several national online publications for men and has spoken to more than 750 businesses, organizations, churches, and schools. He's also the host of Real Men Connect, Apple's top podcast for Christian men, focusing on mentoring, training, and discipling men on how to be amazing husbands, fathers, and extraordinary leaders. It's my pleasure today to bring on my friend, Joe Martin. Joe, it's great to have you on the call today. Jim, it is great to be back on the show and seeing you. Even though I can't see Dale, it was great even talking to Dale on the phone. But man, I am so happy to see you again, man. And and by the way, um, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I've been quoting you, but I, I used to give you credit. Now I just steal your stuff and just say, yeah, I said it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I but initially, Jim, I gave you credit for it. I gave you credit. I, God's my I witness. I gave you credit. Then by, probably about after maybe the third or fourth time, I said, no, nah, that's right. Okay, y'all are trending to me. I can write. Okay, I said it. <laughs> hey, Joe. Hey, man. My, my motto is 
The art of originality is not revealing your sources. <laughs> I love it. I love I'm it. sure I've stole some of your stuff too, man. So steal away, buddy. That's what I appreciate about you, Joe. Not that you're a stealer, but because I, what I appreciate is that you are a kingdom oriented guy. Like I can reach out to you and say, hey, Joe, I need some podcast guests. You're like, here, buddy, try these guys. Yeah. And so we can collaborate. Uh, we're on the same team. Even though we're in this, we're working in the same ministry space. We're on the mm. same team. We're for the same, uh, working for the same king. And I've always uh, talked to you up to other guys that this is a kingdom guy. You are going to love this guy. I think uh, with NCMM, you're one of our speakers. Yeah. And uh, I'm the guy that threw you out there. You go, you got to get this guy. This is the guy you're going to love. I this appreciate guy, so. that, Jim, man. <laughs> I appreciate it wholeheartedly, man. So I'm just happy. To, I'm, this is like a reunion for me. I'm just happy to be back on the show. I can't believe it was pre-COVID when last time I was right. on your show. But, man, I'm back and I'm ready, man. Let's go. It's, it's good stuff, man. <laughs> it's, and, and, you know, I almost feel guilty having you on the show because uh, normally I feel like I'm working. And I, I feel like, you, you know, you and I just need a cup of coffee and sit at some place and ha hang out, man. So that's what this is going to be about today. Because I've got some questions that I think that you have answers to uh, specifically about fathering. Well, I hope it's so. A, it's a topic <laughs> that we don't have as often as I would like to have. Because they're just, to be honest with you, there aren't a lot of guys writing about fathering in that space. You know, there are a lot of guys writing about pornography, a lot of guys writing about other things. But fathering is something that seems to be, we seem to miss that a little bit. And I know that that's a passion for you. So, but before we get into that, can you tell us your story? Because I, I know that your story really has some deep waters when it comes to fathering. Yes, it does. And, and I'm going to spare your audience all the details because, uh, one, they can probably go back and listen to the older, older episode. Yeah. Um, but we can always unpack and dig into anything specific that you think Jim is going to uh, resonate with uh, the men out there who are listening. But I tell you, my story can be summarized in one sentence. I went from rags to riches to ruin to redemption. And what I'll do is I'll focus on the rags part because that's where the father wound started. Mm. Um, my mom was a teenage mother. She had me at the age of 16 and had my sister at the age of 17, a day and 27 days apart. Whoa. And my dad, um, it was just too much for him to handle. He never married her, um, promised that he would. And then after my sister was born, he decided I'm out. And I did not develop and um, build a relationship with my dad until I was a young adult when he came back into my life. But um, not having my dad there in a community, I grew up in Miami, Florida, in a place called Liberty City. And it's just like any other inner city hood that you would hear about. Um, but I was exposed in a community that was so diverse in cultures, but yet I didn't meet a white child till I was 12. Whoa. Because, yeah. Because the hood that I lived in was so big, Jim, that we had two high schools, no, two malls and five high schools in this hood. And I lived in Miami and never saw the beach. What? Until, until after I went off to college and came back home. Yeah. Never even went to the beach. Never saw the beach. And we lived on the ocean <laughs> and never saw the beach. And that's how sheltered this community was. But everything you needed and everything you wanted was in this community. And we had and, and what most people would know um, Liberty City and Miami for are the athletes, professional athletes that come out of there. Oh, really? There's a lot of great <laughs> athletes um, that came out of there. Um, they're now, you know, a lot of those guys now have now retired. But I'm talking about some Hall of Famers have come out of there. And so we had, we're known for the athletes that came out of there. And we had all these strong males but not any strong men and so i went my entire childhood growing up around thousands of males but not one man and i didn't know that and people said what's the difference i said well you're a, a a male by birth but you're a man by choice and none of these men made the choice to be men so i didn't have good role models and good examples of manhood the only men that i saw were either pimps and hustlers drug dealers gangbangers um, womanizers um, abusers, you name it. And even one of those men was a family member who abused me, sexually oh, abused me for three years of my life. And I was su suicidal from 12 to 14 years old. And this was the first man to ever tell me he loved me. And he wasn't even a gangbanger or a drug dealer. He wasn't even a criminal. This was a guy who actually had a job. You know, one of the few men who actually had a, a regular job, but he, but he saw, uh, he exploited an opening that he saw, they call it grooming in, in abuse yep. language, that he was yes. grooming me because he knew that my mom at that time, she was suffering with her own issues. She was struggling with alcoholism. I mean, drinking up to two six packs a night. Um, cooked her last meal for us when I was only 10 years old. 
And so my sister and I, who was just a young, younger and I, we had to take care of ourselves. And my dad wasn't even in the picture. And so I'm growing up in this community being abused, man. I'm, and I'm Six of my friends were murdered by the time I reached the age of 16. So I, I'm looking at all of this stuff and thinking, where's God in all of this? You know, and I couldn't, but, but I was raised in the church. My mom made us go to church, even though she didn't. Wow. And she used to threaten us. This is now, you can, I'm telling my age now, Jim, she used to threaten us to get us to go to church by saying we, she wouldn't let us go outside and play. Now, kids don't even consider that punishment now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that was odd. No, we got to go outside. And so she wouldn't let me go outside with my friends to play football and baseball and all stuff unless I went to church. So I went to church out of obligation, not because I wanted to go. And so, but I grew up in that environment, just not knowing anything about manhood. Mm. But only thing I knew walking out of there was that I knew what I didn't want to be. Yeah. I knew that I saw, I, and, and Jim, this is the crazy thing about it. And I never put two and two together when I was growing up. I saw all these men, right? And I saw all these boys, my friends, but I've never seen a man with a boy oh, in our whoa. neighborhood. Whoa. Yeah, I never saw them together like a father and son. I only saw men who were either drug dealers, gangbangers, pimps, hustlers, and they were like, now they're joking with us when they would see us on the corners and that kind of stuff. Hey, they always, they always hey, little man, hey, little man. But I never saw them with a son. Wow. And no, and it was only one. And what made me realize that was when I got, when I graduated from college and I recognized that I only had one friend in my whole community who had a mom and a dad in the home. And their home was dysfunctional because their dad was, um, he was a bootlegger of videotapes, again, dating myself. He just used to bootleg videotapes and his mom ran numbers. And so that was the only um, model of marriage that I saw in. The, and he had two sons. Both of those sons ended up in prison. Oh, so man. he was the model of a father that I saw with the son. But that's the only man I ever saw with sons. And both his sons ended up in prison. And so that was my and I'm just telling you the rags. Bar. I, I was, I'll spare you all the other stuff. But that was the kind of environment I grew up when it comes to fatherhood. Of I didn't see it. I didn't know what a father was. I just know what I didn't want to be. And the problem with not knowing what you would never be, what God wants you to be, trying to avoid what you don't want to be. Yeah, you, for sure. You need something to, you need a vision. You need something to look forward to. All I was looking at is how to avoid all this stuff. But you ever, if you've ever driven down a, a, a highway, you can't drive looking at the guardrails or your car is going to start going to the guardrails, drifting to the guardrails. You got to stay focused on the road. But I didn't know what to look for. So that led to from going from rags to riches to the ruin part. The ruin part is because all of that came to a head after I had, quote, achieved what I thought was what manhood was. And I lost it all. So I had it all by the time I reached the age of 30, lost it all by the time I reached the age of 40 because my past caught up with me. And I realized that my wife, my now my ex-wife, wasn't impressed with all my achievements. Yes. And my accomplishments. And all the money in the businesses and the homes and all the flashy things. She wasn't impressed with that at all. But I did not know how to be a husband, yet alone a father and a man. So I'm I'm giving you the highlights, but that that was basically what I was exposed to growing up as a kid. Well, now I'm going off a of memory here, okay? <clears throat> but you were the youngest black professor in the nation at the time. Well, in the state of Florida. State, of, state Florida. of Florida. Come on, let me exaggerate. Come on now. <laughs> you were you were uh, voted the best college speaker of the year. Mm -hmm. I mean, Nationally. you had you had this thing, and if I'm not mistaken, didn't you publish a textbook? Well, no, not a textbook. I had by the time I reached the age of thirty, I had already published um, two books in education, and okay. now I think we're up to now maybe twelve. I've co-authored at least now. Okay, I got you. So yeah. you had all this success. Oh, yeah. And it collapsed because this was a powerful statement, man. You talked about the guardrail. You will become what you focus on, mm -hmm. good or bad. Good or bad. And you were focusing on what? The bad. What I didn't want, uh, what I was trying to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be this deadbeat. I don't want to be this womanizer. I don't want to be this abuse. And guess what? That's what I became. Because <laughs> you, like you said, Jim, I got what I was focusing on. Yeah. Try not to be that. But you, in one way I try to snap men out of this, I always ask them, I said, what kind of dad did you have? Oh, he was a horrible dad. He was a horrible father. I said, okay, if you had to rate him from a one to a 10, where would you, where would you rate him? He said, man, I'll say he was a two, but you oh. always hear men say this. I want to be better than my father. I said, do you see the flaw logic in that? Yeah, if a he's three. a two, all you had to do is be a three. Yeah. And trust me, your son and your daughter needs more than a three 
and your wife wants more than a three. You're using the wrong standard. Yep, You're looking absolutely. at what you don't want to be as opposed to looking at the real father or who you want to be. That's right. powerful. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get there in a second. But I'm going to go yeah. back because I think it starts with something that you called a choice. You said you're a male by birth man by choice i don't know if you stole that from me but i gotta tell you i stole that from <laughs> i stole that from jonathan evans now so, no, see, no no you know who i stole that from um <laughs> we met him um before what's the guy uh see that's why you, you take that stuff not jonathan evans no he's still alive this was it Gene, still alive. well jonathan evans is still alive his no but Kobe not evans. it wasn't john jonathan evans stole it too. Dean gets no it was um oh what's the guy's name robert something i can't remember his name oh but, oh rough you know what I'm talking he, yeah, about. Yeah, he wrote Modern Day Night. Raised yeah. Modern Day Night. Robert Lewis. Robert Lewis. There Robert it is. Lewis. Okay, That's there you I'm, go. Yeah, yeah. We've, had, <laughs> yeah. we've had him on the show. I'm sure you have to. So male by birth, man by choice. Mm -hmm. What choice is it that a, a male makes to become a man? What is the choice? That the choice that he makes is that he's going to mimic and imitate the father. He's going to be what Jesus Christ was and what the father represents to us. We are the pastor, priest and prophet of our home. So while we're looking at I'm looking at my dad who left, who never sent a birthday card, never sent a Christmas gift, never was there to tuck me in the bed, never said a prayer with me, never told me he loved me, never gave me a hug, never, you know, never. I'm looking at that dad when I'm not looking at the father that in spite of me, mm. he was always there, that he was there to listen. He was there to correct and so I want to learn if the choice I'm going to make is I'm going to be like the father and mm, how yes. he fathers me. Now, I'm always going to fall short of that. But what a great standard to fall short of. Yeah. That if I can't make it to that kind of if I can't be the perfect father, at least be as close to that father as I possibly can. And that changed everything. But at the same time, you have men out there who will say that and they'll see that. And they'll say, OK, then I don't need anybody. I just need to focus on Jesus. I just need to focus on Jesus. But guess what? God is going to surround you with some men who are walking this out that you can say, hey, help me along this journey as we all pursue being like more like the real Abba father. You know, so yes. that's what I needed. I needed some men to come alongside of me and who are a little bit ahead of me to point me back there and say, this is what this is how the father loves you. I had to one get a right view of God himself. Now, the God, not the God I want, the God who is. Yep. And then I had to understand my identity in the father of what he how he sees me, not what my I thought my dad thought, not what my environment told me, not what the culture says, not what my race says. But what does the father say about? Yes, me? I needed to come in line with that identity. And so all that has helped me become making this choice. Say, OK, I'm gonna, my choice is I'm going to be what God says I am. I'm going to be the kind of father God wants me to be. And I'm going to allow the men in my life who God puts in my life to help me along this journey to do that. All those are choices that we can make as men. You know, it's funny, man. One of the things I really connect with you on is we have a same theology. And, and the theology is very simple. And I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to put this ball on the tee for you to smack it out mm -hmm. of the, down the fairway here. What do you say to a man when he says, you know what? This whole I hear you say, Jesus, I need to make this choice for Jesus. But, you know, if I do that, I'm, he's going to tell me all the things I can't do, and he'll make me less of a man than I already am. <laughs> I have that. I hear that all the time. What do you what do you say to that guy? Because yeah, they have a wrong view of the father. Absolutely. Um, if I always tell men and say, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. Can't do that. I say, why don't you focus? Like, Jim, you said it earlier. Focus on if you get what you focus on. If you focus on the dudes. You won't do the don'ts. Mm, mm -hmm. No, what God is putting is think about your own relationship with, with you with your kids. You don't put boundaries in place for your kids because you because you hate them because you're trying to take their joy away. You're doing this to protect them from themselves. And, you know, because you've gone ahead of them and you have a little bit more experience than they do that. Wow. If they listen to you. And follow that instruction with love that you guess what? You have your best interest at heart. It's not what he's keeping me away from is what he's drawing me to. Mm -hmm. And so if we can have that kind of love for our kids and as jacked up as we are, how much more does the father love us to say, hey, this is what I'm putting in place for you to benefit you. This is my best for you. And you need to trust me with this. And so I would tell him, focus on the dudes. You won't start. You'll stop complaining about doing the don'ts. I don't know about you, man, but as a follower of Jesus, I don't ever think of what I can't do. 
Right. It just you shouldn't it have to focus on that. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't come up because it's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. I want to be the best person in Christ I can be. I focus on that, and I focus on glorifying God, and all the other things kind of fall away, right? Because they're they're redundant or they're they're they, they're irrelevant to what I'm trying right. to accomplish as a man. So I I really appreciate that perspective. It's just very very powerful. So so I know you have a real heart for for men, a real heart for fathering. You mentioned your father. What are some lessons? What are a couple things you learned from your father? So maybe they're bad things. Oh, you know what? My, I, I'm you know I, I need to preface this too that my dad and I have a great relationship now. Um, I had to you know I had to do a lot of growing through that, Jim. With you know we got to forgive. Yeah. We got to extend the same kind of grace and mercy we want God to give to us. And it took some time, but I was able to do that. And um, the last book that I wrote is called Man Accomplished. And it's on 50 challenges to be the, um, the man that God has called you to be. And in that book, Jim, I, I made a dedication mm. to my dad. Now, all, all the books I've ever written, I've never dedicated a book to my dad. It was always to my wife or my children and my students who I taught when I was a professor and all this other stuff. But this one I, I wrote to my dad and I dedicated it to my dad. And I'm paraphrasing it because I don't have the book in front of me. But I said to my dad, I said, um, I know that when you look back at your life, you have a lot of regrets when you about being a dad. And I said, but I want you to know that I am so proud of you because you have demonstrated to me. And this is the positive, Jim. You have demonstrated to me. It is never too late to become the man that God has called and created you to be. Yeah. Because, Jim, you could have never told me my dad we would have a relationship today. You never would have told me that when I was growing up. But I've watched him over the years. And I've watched that hard heart of his soften. And now he's not where, well, no, from our standpoint, we know more of this growing in Christ and maturing in Christ. He's still a, a babe in Christ. Yep, yeah. And so I know that. Um, but what I see is that he's not where I would want him to be, but he's not where he used to be. And I see that he's moving in the right direction. And my mom passed away three years ago, um, Thanksgiving Day um, on Thanksgiving Day, man. Oh and, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. And so my, my dad was there for me when she passed and my mom had already forgiven him and reconciled with him. It took longer for me to reconcile with him than did my mom, you know? And so, but I, I told my dad, I said, dad, mom would be so happy to see that what this has become, mm. because I saw that she wanted that even when, when she was alive. Yeah. And I was just so resistant to it. And but I but I watched my dad become the man that God wants him to be as a father. And he's not doing it perfectly. But if I had to say what I've learned from my dad, it's never too late. It's never too late to be the man God called you to be. And what I and if I had to look at it from my other standpoint, what I learned not to be from my dad is to I would say, how would I put this? That you don't have to be everything for your child. You just got to be there for your child. Yes. See, he's thinking what he, he's not coming back in our lives because he's not able to do this. He's not doing that. He's not, well, why, why not just be there? And I, I think, and you've had Patrick Morley on your show. I love something yeah. that Patrick Morley put in one of his books. He says that if you don't learn anything about being a dad or being a father, he says, remember these two things. Always tell your children that you love them and you're proud of them. And tell him, and always, and he said, and always let him know, no, you won't get your way, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but loving him and being proud, that means you got to be there to let him know you love him and you're proud of him. And how I longed to hear those words from my dad when I was growing up, that I love you and I'm proud of you. Nobody told me that, Jim, mm. except this man who steps into my life and tells me he loves me and he's proud of me. The first man to tell me that sexually abuses me. For three years, that was what my dad was supposed to be there to be the buffer for that. Yeah. So I would have, even if even if my dad couldn't stop the abuse, I would have at least known this is not love. What yeah. my dad gives me is love. And this is not it. I thought that dude was still loving me. Because I had no other picture of love. But when the first words you hear from a man who says he loves you and is proud of you, it's that kind of man. Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned from my dad that, man, you don't have to be everything for your child, but but you have to be there for your child. Show up. Just be present. 
Even if you're trying to figure it out, just be there. Because that's what a child's going to remember most. Were you there when I needed you the most? Yes. And that's where the resentment and the bitterness and the anger comes from. Because the kid is not just looking at you abandoning them. What they're looking at is when I was going through, when I missed that winning free throw in the state championship, mm. when that girlfriend rejected me, when the teachers told me I was stupid and I need to be put in a special class and I don't, I'll never amount to anything. Where were you? When we didn't have anything to eat, where were you? When I was doubting myself, thinking that I'm not good enough, where were you? Mm -hmm. You couldn't have solved it, maybe solved all of those problems, but where were you? Were you there? Yeah. And so that's what they're going to remember most. And that's why kids get bitter and upset because they're thinking you weren't there when I need you. And guess who they start exalting? Their friends. Because my friend was there, even though their friends were stuck on stupid, but they were there. So we got to fill that space and say, at least be there and be present. You know, it's funny. My dad, uh, he's not the perfect father. None of us, none of them are. Right. But Neither my, dad, but my <laughs> dad, my dad, probably could have, yeah, that's a true statement. Just can't bring my kids. I'm going to bring my kids on the show uh, one of these days and have them talk about my failure as a father. Where I failed. <laughs> Wouldn't that be good? That'd be good, though, right? Um, yeah, I've dad. had my I've had my I've had my daughter and my son come on the show. I had my son come on the show, Jim, and interview me, which he didn't show me the question beforehand. But boy, he had some tough questions. And then I had my daughter come on to talk about what we need to know as fathers. And, and I was hearing it for the first time. It was very humbling. Have you had Michelle Watson Canfield on your Yeah. Show? Oh, I've had yeah. Michelle a few times. Yeah. She's, and I've got another gal coming on, Victoria something, and she's the same type of deal. Really? Because yeah, because I think <laughs> we need to have women tell us what to say. Oh but yeah. But I gotta man. tell you, so my dad was a great dad. My dad could write a book on fathering. Really, mm -hmm. uh, I would say from you know, so he did some things that were outstanding as a father, and there's some things that I've tried to out outdo him on because right. I, I felt like he falls short. But my dad really, I'm pretty fortunate. When I hear stories like your yours, I just go man. And I know that we're like almost the same age, so it would be really. I don't want to sound condescending. Mm -hmm. But man, I'm proud of you. You are crushing it in the men's ministry space. So from peer to peer, uh, man, I'm just really proud to be able to call you a friend and Thank to you, work man. side by side with you. And um, and I know that you don't need my affirmation, but I, I want to give it to you and put you on display because you're worthy of a guy. You're worthy to be honored because you've overcome a lot more than I've had to overcome and you've uh, progressed way beyond where I am. And so I really do uh, honor that. And I just, I want to thank you for being in the space. So it's well, just, a, you, it's an honor to be your friend. And Jim, you know what's, you know what the biggest blessing out of this? And I'm, uh, I, just, I don't want to get emotional, but <laughs> Jim, when I was growing up, man, I mean, I hated men. Yeah. I hated them, man. Um, I just thought they couldn't be trusted. You can't respect them. They're, they're horrible people. Why did God even create us? Mm. And, and I keep thinking, what is wrong? And Jim, you look at the hand of God and his grace and his mercy. Jim, I had no idea when I was complaining to God about God. I used to, I remember just telling God, God, why won't you, why won't you, why won't you bring some man in my life that I can trust? Why don't you help me? Why aren't you not listening to me? Why do you let me get, why are all these men doing this to me? God, why aren't you, you just ignore me, God. Don't you love me? Jim, I had no idea that I was going to be here. Mm. And the number of men, men like you who are doing the work that you're doing in ministry and the other men who are doing similar work in this space that we're what we call men's ministry that I can call friend mm -hmm. and that I can connect with. Yeah, I, I feel so bad. Like, God, I'm so sorry <laughs> that I was doubting you. Now he's given me more than I could handle. Yep. You know, I have six spiritual fathers, six. And I'm thinking either God knew I'm really needy <laughs> or he went beyond. He said, you are complaining because you that I don't send you one. I got something for you and gave me six that I'm just, wow, what did I do to deserve this? So that's interesting, Joe, because four years ago, you had shared that you had four or two yep. and mm -hmm. one had just died. Right. So you went from two to one and now you're up five. So, yep. you know, which is which brings up another point. God, when we ask God to do something, he he answers our prayers through the hands of other people mm -hmm. almost every mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And so for you, God has come along decades later and said, hey, listen, man, I'm going to give you everything you asked for times six. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. So what are some things you talked about your kids coming on the show? Yeah. What are some things that you are doing differently as a father besides obviously showing up? What are the yeah, things? Cause up. your kids are what? Nine and 10 years old. No, no. Now I'm son, 26 daughter, 20. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. Oh man. Okay. Sorry my kids out of house, man. I'm empty nester, man. Oh, you're I'm, talking about yeah. kids. I thought you had little children. Your kids. No, are no. My I kids had age. them on the show when they were kids. Oh, you know, okay. When they sorry, were still sorry. like in high school and middle school. Now okay. they're yeah. Well, yeah, my wife always says, my wife always says, you heard me, but are you listening? So apparently in this <laughs> case, I wasn't. <laughs> now, th- now I haven't had them on the show since they become adults. Okay. But I had them on the show when I was launching the podcast and we're doing it. And I thought, what could be a great show? And I put myself out there like you willing to put yourself out there with your kids. I said, I never, they didn't, I didn't prep them for the show. They didn't prep me for what's going to happen. I said, let's do this and see what happens. You know, have my wife on the show, you know, just let's do this and see what happens. And man, it's been such a blessing. And that's one thing I like about doing podcasts. Long after we're gone, Jim, unless they come up with some different technology, this stuff is going to be out there. Yep. And and our kids, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because you want them to kind of grieve and then get over us. Totally. <laughs> but if yeah. they had to listen to your voice all the time, they're like, man, I can't stand this. I got to listen to, I can, you know, it's going to be hard for them to let go if they keep hearing your voice all the time. Yeah. You know, so. So but what yeah. are some things you've done? What are some things you did wrong with your kids? Oh, man. My son asked me that question. Oh, oh. man. Well, he already knew the I, answer. I, I, I thought maybe no. But no, he actually <laughs> thought I was going to say I was going to say nothing. Oh, he thought really? I was a great dad. Yeah. My son was thinking, oh, because he always tell me he don't think he can be the kind of dad that I am. Right. And I said, like, dude, you're going to be better than me. He said, dad, he said, how can you say that? I said, Kendall, have I done it perfectly? He says, no. I said, so I messed up. Right. He said, yeah. I said, now, if you just do the things that I did. <laughs> right, and don't do the things I did wrong. By default, you're gonna be better. He said, "Man, Dad, I never thought about it that way before." I said, "By default, you're gonna be better just by repeating the good stuff and not doing the bad stuff that I did." But he had, so he was shocked when I told him. But I was very transparent. He says, "Dad, if you can do it all over again, you know what would you change?" He said he didn't think I did anything wrong. But then after I told him, he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I see." well and that's the thing that our kids don't realize is that one of the things that good father does is he doesn't compete against his children he puts his kids on his shoulders and says now you go do better right i want my kids my i've got one kid just he's 26 years old and just bought his second home and Mm -hmm. i'm like are you kidding he goes yeah dad i'm getting ready to offer on a third i'm like are you kidding me yeah he he doesn't make (laughs) any more money than me i'm like you're so much better at money than me and so you know we want our kids to excel right right so yeah so anyway, back to the question. Yeah. So so he asked me, he said, Dad, what would you do different? I said, Kendall, that's easy. I said, um, I said, number one, I said, um, I would have shown you more masculine affection. Oh, yeah. He says, huh? I said, I said, Kendall, because of my own trauma in my past, I said, man, I, I wish I could go back. I would kiss you more. I would hug you more as a child. I would just, I, I would have held your hand. I said, I'm going to show you what masculine affection looks like. I didn't know there was such a thing. And I didn't know how much is needed. I said, because I look at the guys I'm around now, we're always hugging each other, giving each other a pound and, you know, chest bumps and all this other stuff and everything. And I was afraid to touch my son, Jim. Oh wow! Because oh, I knew well, what of course it felt. you were. Of yeah, because when were. I felt when I felt because I, I always felt violated when somebody touched me. Yeah, and so I thought I was invading his space and not realize I was depriving him of what God wanted me to give him, which is masculine affection. We want to feel God's embrace. We want to feel God's breath on the back of our necks, know how close He is to us. Mm. And I didn't show my son a lot of masculine affection. You should have seen the look on his face when I was telling him this because he never realized he was deprived this. But I say, I thank God for your mom because she showed a lot of affection to you. And we have a very affectionate family. I'm not a touchy feely guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, Kendall, I would have done more. I mean, I touch other guys more than I touch my own son, you know, because because now I understand there's masculine affection without you um, worried about your masculinity. And so I said, Kendall, I would have shown you that because by showing you that it would have made it natural for you to do it if you have a son. And so I don't want you to repeat what I did with your son, even though you love him, but let now touch him. Let him know what healthy touch is like. So he can know when it's unhealthy and when it's not safe. 
I said, my arm should have been the safest place you should ever be with a man, with me, with your father. And so yep. he got real quiet. He said, Dan, I never, never thought about it that way. I never, I said, Kendall, for that, I'm so sorry, man. And I said, please forgive me because I just didn't know better. I didn't know better. And if I would have known better, I would have done better, but I didn't. I said, I was loving you out of my pain. Yep. You know, but I didn't know how to love you that way. I said, I know now, but now you've grown. You know, and now I say, I don't mind hugging you now, but man, I, I should have done it when you were younger. And I said, Kendall, the second thing that I would um, go back and change, I said, I would have instilled in you the importance of the relationship with other men that you need in your life, support of other men, accountability from other men, love from other men. He said, but dad, but you would, I said, see, that's the problem. Everything you wanted in friendship, in uh, you got it from me. Mm. What if something would have happened to me? You would have understood it's not me. The importance is of having relationships with other men. I didn't teach you how important that is. I only thought you needed me. As long as he's got a good father, a mentor, a coach, I'm going to be everything. The counselor, I'm going to be everything. You the teacher. I'm gonna be, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Only one person is everything you need. That is the perfect father. I'm just one small component, but you need to know you need other men like me mm -hmm. in your life, like a Jim Ramos. Are you yeah. following me? Yep. Yeah. Well, like a sure. Dale, like all these other guys you see me around. Because now if I'm stuck on stupid, you can go to Jim. You see what I mean? yeah, if you absolutely. think Jim is crazy, you can go to Dale. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I mean? But you got a, such a great team around you, so you'll never be lacking anything. And I said, Kendall, I did not. And then you know what? He admitted to that. Because I tell you, he didn't think I did anything wrong. He said, Dad, man, Dad, you're absolutely right. I said, what do you mean? He says, Dad, now that I'm out of the house and I'm growing, I realize that I don't have close friendships like that. He said, like oh, you have. Yeah. I said, because Kendall, I didn't teach you how to have it. I, you just have it with me. He comes confide in me. He's vulnerable with me. He's transparent with me. But you need to be this with other men, not just yep. your dad. And now he's now, ever since I told him that, Jim, he's now been building those relationships. And I said, man, I wish I would have taught him that a lot sooner. And I missed it. I just missed it. Because I thought, okay, I'm just going to be there because I didn't have anybody there for me. I'm, I'm not enough. Yeah. I'm part of the puzzle, but I'm not everything. He needs a lot. And, and you know, you've heard me say this before, Jim, Jim, that a man is only as strong as his team. Yep. He's only as strong as the stronger of uh, the other strong godly men he has in his life. Show me a man with a with um who does not have a team, I'll show you a weak man. Show or me a, a weak, man who, or a weak vision for his life. Yeah. You need other men. You yep. need other men in your life to come alongside you, support you, uh, hold you accountable, encourage you, correct you, you know, to love you. You need that. And now he's convinced he knows it now. And I've connected him with a lot of other men. And now he's building those relationships. But I wish I would have known that when he was younger. You know, that's a powerful statement, Joe. And I, guys, I want you to listen to what he said. And I'd never thought about, about this before. I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. our, our sons, our daughters need to be networked with other people that are uh, like-minded with us that can bring them along uh, the, mm -hmm. in this day and age. I mean, if we don't, if we don't, their cell phones will. Right. Right. YouTube mm -hmm. will whatever, you know, fill in the lake. So, so, so since we're talking about our weaknesses, I figure I should not leave you hanging. I'm going to tell you mine. Right. Okay. So my two, and, and I've talked to my kids about this a little bit, Probably not as much as I should. You know, your kids look at you. I had three sons, right? They're 24, 26, 28. They're all outstanding young men, all mm -hmm. college graduates. They're really doing all doing very, very well. They're, 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 they're self-thinking guys that, you know, they, they're just some good, 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 good young men that I love hanging around. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I realized I'm you're, you and me are similar. We are very emotional kind of, we're emotional. Yeah. I, I would say, even though we're educated and we've written books, I'm a lot more emotive than I am cognitive. I've had to work hard with my cognition and knowledge. It's something I've had to work on to override the emotion. But you know, it's funny, Joe, is I didn't show a lot of emotion with my sons growing up. Really? I was the rock. I was the dad. They didn't see me crying over Rocky, 
you know, Rocky two or, 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 you know, or, or Hallmark or whatever it is. Right. They didn't see me weeping over things and they never saw that. And so when I get emotional, my kids will say, dad, wow, that's weird. And, and my mom, my <laughs> wife goes, he cries all the time, but mm. I didn't show that with my sons. Wow. And I wow. think that was, I didn't do it on purpose, Joe. Right. Right. Just, right. So I've had to kind of go back to that and, and, and express that, Hey, it's okay to show emotion. And then the other thing is, you know, my kids thought like you, they thought I was Superman, right? When they're growing up. And so I, I didn't, they saw my failures. They saw me not framing their mother the way that, that I should have. Uh, they, they saw my failures, but I never shared mm -hmm. my failures. And as they're growing up now, I've got to go back and say, Hey guys, I'm struggling with this area. I'm working through this. I made a mistake here. And they look at me and they go, oh, wow. And I think that's important. As I, and I do think there's a season, Joe, where we have to be really careful. We don't want to share with our 16-year-old son that we've <laughs> right. gotten womanized girls when we were in high school or college because mm -hmm. then that gives them a license to do so. But I think we also need to share our failures because as our children enter adulthood, and you know this, they choose the relationship. They choose whether or not mm -hmm. I'm going to be their friend and their father. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be, we have to be position ourselves so that they'll want to do that. Wow, man, you know, and I, thanks for sharing that, Jim. But you, you know, it's weird because I was just the opposite of man. I always wore my emotions on my sleeves. Yeah, my kids, but they saw me as, but they saw it as a sign of strength because they saw that wow, he's that way, but he stays so steady, and he doesn't allow his emotions to take over. And I think they, my son has learned that. My daughter still is starting to learn that. But I think my son picked up on that real quickly. That wow, I told, I, I remember telling my son um, not too long ago. I said. I'm so proud of because he now, Jim. Think about this your sons are doing really well, right? Yeah, now I kind of set my son up for failure, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you know what he thinks? Look at what my dad accomplished by the time he reached the age of 30. He feels he has to be able to do all of that, yeah, before he reached the age of 30. And right, and I told, and so my son always thinks, and I remember asking him, boy, uh. On his, when he turned 21, I took him out to um, lunch. He was in college and um, took him out to lunch. And I said, Kendall, if you could ask me anything, I said, Cause you know, I'm always telling you, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, painfully honest with him. I said, if you can ask me anything and I had to tell you the truth, but I said, what is it that you want to ask me that you're afraid of the answer? What a question. God put that on my heart when I was driving to see him. Yeah. Said, ask your son this. I'm like, God, why do you want me to ask him that? I found out why. Oh, yeah. It caught me off guard, too. I said, Kendall, if you could ask me, you know, I'm going to tell you. I said, what is the thing that you know um, that you that you would love to ask, but you're afraid to ask me? And on his birthday. He looks at me, Jim, and he says, um, are you disappointed in me? Oh. Uh, oh, Jim. It goes back to I'm proud of you. Mm hmm. And it was a kick in the gut. He said, am I disappointed? I said, Kendall, why would you say that? Because I always told him, because I read Patrick Morley's book when he was a kid. Yeah. I said, I love you and I'm proud of you. No, you ain't going to get your way. I used to tell him that all the time. Right. And I said, why would you why would you say that? Why would you question that? He says, Dad, because I just look at your life and what you had to overcome mm. and what you achieved. And I see myself, I'm just, he said, I don't have to, I didn't have to go through all that stuff you're going through. And it's a struggle of me getting through college and all this other stuff. Right. And I looked at him. I said, Kendall, yes, man. I, I said, no, I'm not disappointed. I said, Kendall, I'm proud of you, not because of what you accomplish or not accomplish, because of who you are. See, I did all those things because I was trying to earn other people's yep. affirmation, their love. Kendall, I love you. I, if you, I said, let's put it this way. If you achieve 10 times more than I achieve, I'm not going to love you any more than I love you today. Mm -hmm. And if you never even come close to achieving what I achieve, I'm not going to love you any less than I love you today. That's how the father loves us. We don't have to do to earn the father's love. We just have to receive mm -hmm. his love and live in that love. I had no idea he was walking around with that weight. Yeah, thinking, but I'm a disappointment to my dad. I'm like, What? It's another reminder, though, Joe, that our, our our sons need to hear all the time, I love you and I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. And our daughters need to hear all the time, you're enough and you're worthy. You're, you're enough, enough and, and you're, you're worthy. worthy. Yeah. And so we think, hey, I told them that 50 times over the course of their teen years. 
Well, you needed to do tell, it tell every 50, single 50 more times. <laughs> 50 times 50, Jesus that's would say, right? right? <laughs> anyway, but no, that's really good stuff, man. So so from your experience, Joe, we, we just shared our weaknesses, right? We kind of hung them out there. Uh, from your experience working with men, what are some some key and common areas of weakness or areas that dads struggle? What are some uh, things you you see yourself? I know you do a lot of coaching. What are some things you're constantly coaching up with men? Uh, I would say one of the biggest things is, and I battled with this too, Jen, when my son was around about five. And also, and they keep hearing me reference my son. My daughter, who's now 20, is not my biological daughter. We're a blended family. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she came into my life when she was just a little girl. And when me and her mom got married, she was only 12. You see what I mean? And so, well, no, no, she was 10. She was 10. And so- a lot of the stories they hear, I was a single dad at a at a point in time because of how I ruined my marriage, yeah, my first yeah. marriage. And so um, so a lot of reference I give is me being learning how to be a dad. By the time I got to my daughter, I I, I pretty much okay, I got it now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My son was a guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. My my oldest son, that poor kid, I go, man, I messed up with you more than the other two. <laughs> and this is something that I think meant, and I can't be the only one. I said, well, I'm gonna tell what I struggle with, and I and I and that can't be the only one. It got to a point, Jim, I was making so many mistakes as a dad. And I see men struggle with this too. That I started thinking I'm disqualified. In other words, oh. I, I'm never going to get this right. Uh, I, I, when you start having to apologize and asking a five-year-old or four, when he's four or three for forgiveness all the time, because you put your foot in your mouth, you lost your temper, you did something. Because the Holy Spirit would convict me to go apologize yeah. and ask for forgiveness to a three-year-old. You see what I mean? And so when you start doing that enough, you start thinking, man, I suck. <laughs> like that, right? I must be a horrible dad. And one of the things I see men struggle with, and at least I did, but I'm gonna tell you what God told me when I, I went to God exasperated, just like, I'm done. Now, this makes no sense. I'm going to God telling God, I'm done with being a dad. How do you get done with being a dad? My son's five. All right. And I said, I'm done. I can't do this. This is too much. I'm too much, uh, too mu much of an F up. <laughs> you see what I mean? I can't make this thing. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm done. God, and I'm, I'm having a pity party, Jim. Yeah. Oh, I know yeah. men I didn't know. They had it too. Don't don't act like you didn't. Oh, I And yeah. when you, you just don't, you can't do it right. Right. Yep. And I'm like, God, I'm done. Oh, 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 this wretched man I am. I can't do it anymore. God, you got to take this. Up. I'm just a horrible dad. I say, I can't do this. And the Holy Spirit says, great. What? <laughs> I say, what? And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. He says, what? He said, Tell me what you're struggling with. I said, I can't be what this kid needs me to be. I've never done this before. I don't know how to do this. I said, I keep messing up. He said, and you know why you're struggling and why you're messing up? He said, because you're trying to be the perfect father. I said, what's wrong with that? He says, there's only one perfect father. And that's me. Mm. But this is what changed my life. And I'm hoping to minister to somebody out there. He says, but you're the perfect father I chose for him. Yep, exactly right. 100% true. And so what, what I would tell you that I see men struggle with, and I struggle with it too, struggling trying to get to do everything right. And I, so I started questioning God. I pushed back on this. I said, God, so you, I'm the perfect father, but I don't get it. He said, tell me what's wrong with you. I said, um, I make too many mistakes. He says, perfect. Don't hide them from your son. Yep. Let him see how a real man responds to mistakes. I said, but God, um, but God, I, I fail a lot. He says, perfect. Don't hide your failures from him. Show him how a real man responds after he falls down. I said, God, but there's so many questions this little kid has that I don't have answers to. He says, perfect. Show him where you go to get the answers. Yep. Yep. And I started to guess it. Oh, so I just got to be what you want me to be, but point him back to you. He said, that's why I chose you, because I knew you would do that. Mm. I trust you. Can I trust you to do that? Absolutely. That's why he starts seeing me get emotional and seeing me, because I didn't have to have it all together anymore. 
I just had to say, wow, I'm struggling with this, but this is what we do when we struggle, Kendall. Now, my daughter, my daughter's name is Faith. Faith, this is what dad does. I know, I'll tell you, my daughter then wasn't raised with me. So I remember when she saw me going through some trying times and she saw that I had joy and peace. She got mad. She said, Dad, how can you be calm in a time like this? And you know, and she was 19 at the time. So it was last year. She said, you, you, I don't understand you. You're just having this good old time while all this stuff is happening. I said, I said, baby girl, listen to me. You're concerned because I'm not falling apart, but you didn't ask who's holding me together. It's, that's when I realize I don't have to be this perfect picture of anything. So when I see Mr. that man, when I got that, it I started love being a dad after that, Jim. When I realized I ain't had to perform and ain't have to be perfect. That's when I really that now I wish I could do fatherhood all over again now. So I would have if I can go back and change anything about my experience as a dad. This is another one I would change. And I that, no, I didn't tell my son this. I just need to tell him this and my daughter this. I would have enjoyed the process more. Yeah. I was like white nothing, like, I don't want to mess up. Oh, I'm gonna mess up. No, Jim, I would enjoy now. What I remember what the stuff used to get me mad and upset. Like my son drawing on crayon on the whole staircase when I took a nap and he's supposed to be sleeping with me and got up and started drawing all. And I'm thinking, why didn't I find the humor in that? Why didn't I enjoy? Because guess what? We talk about it now and we laugh. Yeah. I wasn't laughing back then. Yeah. I was mad and thinking, why did we have this kid? He's making me look bad with his mom because the mom trusted me to watch him. And now he we got to repaint the staircase. <laughs> you see, what I mean? <laughs> see, I didn't enjoy the process, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I would have now taken it all in that, oh, one day we're going to laugh about all of this. And this is going to be great memories. So we're laughing now about all the tough stuff we had to overcome. But it wasn't yeah. funny at the time because I wasn't enjoying it. Well, and that's what we do that all the time now. We talk about stories. Mm-hmm. And usually there's stories that revolve around anger or, you know, say, so, you know, remember when you did this or remember that, you know, or <laughs> hunting or fishing for us. But I mm-hmm. think that's, that's, I think for me, that's another failure I made. Mm-hmm. I was so intense on raising the godly son yeah. <laughs> and white knuckling to make sure they yeah, did that. That right. when, when I walk out of church one day and my kid's at the top of the stairs at the church with a slong hanging out, taking a leak in front of the world, <laughs> you know, or when, when it's a cantata and he start decides he's going to start stripping right there in front of the church. You know, we, we freak out, Yeah. Uh, but really it's quite hilarious. I, and I think guys need to enjoy the process more. I, I wish I would have enjoyed me too, man. that process more because that's that side of the emotion where the kids see, oh, dad's just stoic and serious and angry yeah. and, and that's not, but you know, it's interesting, Joe, I want to go back to this. You talked about white knuckling it and having this conversation with God and God saying, you're the perfect guy. It seems to me that guys will their default setting is not to jump into the problem, but to isolate themselves. Mm-hmm. They get they get discouraged, right? They get they get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and they tend to just kind of withdraw. Mm-hmm. Is this something you've seen with guys? Where they just kind of they just kind of get out of the arena, they get out of the game. Yeah, because it's it's our um, what do they call it fight or flight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, mentality, and that's what we 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 go back to what we feel we can control. And we're the we're the kind of people, we're the species, the man is species that if I can't win, I don't want to play. Yeah, for I sure. don't want to play. If you know, I, I tell women that you want to really quickly dis, um, discourage a man, show him, put him in a place where he can't win. He will get frustrated and he will withdraw and he will isolate. And I'm now going to real old school reference. He'll take his marbles and go home. <laughs> or Mar- what's a, what's he'll snatch marble? the PlayStation. He'll snatch the PlayStation out the wall and go back to his house. You can't beat you, you in Madden. You just uh, you just impact the millennials. Know what you're talking about now? Yeah. They're they're still going. What the hell's a marble? What's a marble. What's a marble? <laughs> oh, that's so. Funny. But he'll, he'll take his PlayStation and go home. Yeah, we gotta win. We gotta win. But we have to. But that see. But that's the culture. But in the kingdom, guess what? Losing or surrendering is winning. Yes. When you say yes. I'm not focused on the outcome, I'm focused on my obedience. I'm not focused on the results. I'm focused on my relationship. You know, and so from that point, yeah, the natural thing for us is to isolate, to withdraw, because now we won't lose when we're by ourselves and there are no judges. Yeah. There's nobody criticizing us. But when I'm around you, you can potentially judge me 
telling me I'm right or I'm wrong or I'm not enough. I'm not measuring up. So it's easier to isolate and to withdraw. And, you know, you talk, you joked earlier, Jim, about how we do all these shows on porn. I mean, yeah, I'm all porned out with, with all the shows. I'm but like, if so I see many another shows porn on thing, that. yeah, I know. But you know why we gravitate towards porn? Because it's it's a relationship without the responsibility. Because we're we, yes. we have this fictitious, and I put that relationship in air quotes because it ain't really a relationship. True. But if but it's a person I can have what I want when I want somebody. Th- I can you know this person can tell me I'm the greatest. I can get them to say anything I want them to say. But I don't have the responsibility of having to listen to them, to empathize, to have to change. We don't want the responsibility that comes with. So it's better to isolate. And why not? If I'm going to isolate, why not isolate with an image on a screen? or a woman in a strip club, or in a massage parlor. Why not isolate myself that way so I'm paying to get what I want Yeah, out of this, as opposed to dealing with reality, which means I'm going to have to suffer a little bit. Yes, yeah. and it may, and I may not have instant gratification in doing right. so. In fact, right. you and I both know this because we have kids who are out of the house now. It sounds like you, like myself, are reaping the rewards of good fathering because yeah. now we have great kids who are now adults who want to have a relationship with who us. Wa- yeah. yeah. But you know, it's interesting. If I were to look at this whole podcast, we're winding down here. Mm-hmm. It, to me, I, I, this is what I love about your theology, man. It's, it's simple and it's masculine. It sounds like I hear you saying, based on your conversations with God and based on your ministry model and based on what you just said today, that the best thing I can do to be a great father is to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Is that what I hear mm-hmm. you saying? Absolutely. 100% dead on, spot on, hit the target, <laughs> through the target, through the wall. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it Pretty is. Pretty simple, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it's profound, right? Because it, it's going to cost you your life, guy. <laughs> yeah. What? Did, what? How do they say it, Jim? It, it's, it's simple, but it ain't easy. It ain't easy. Hey, I got to ask <laughs> you one more question, man. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I haven't seen you for four, about four years uh, as far as face to face, which mm-hmm. man, that's just got to change. Man. Yeah, I, crazy, I got a couple. Man. I got a couple of buddies in Tennessee mm-hmm. and Kentucky. I need to go over there and have a little like bourbon tour or something. <laughs> when, hey, whenever you're in this area, let me know because I don't get to because you're in Oregon, right? Yeah, I, I don't am. get to Oregon that that in, in, that that um, that much. But you'll know if I'm in Oregon because you ain't got that many black people in Oregon. So, well, so you, you would stand. That. Well, when you said earlier, you said. I finally saw my first white guy. I'm like, I feel like that about black guys. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so funny. I was like, dude, what? Did I've been think? to Oregon. I've been ah! to Oregon. Uh, yeah. I've well, it there. depends on where you are. But the thing about Oregon, though, is they, they really are pretty good about all colors. It's it's a pretty, mm-hmm. generally speaking, I think it's pretty safe. Especially if you're with me, buddy, you're good to go. You're good. Uh, to that's go. right. That's but right. hey, I got a question for you, man. <laughs> okay. I got a question, man. We're just, I got some black dude out there going, what the hell? <laughs> what they some white dude's about? going, some white dude's going, what the hell? <laughs> Oh man, it's just too fun to mess with people. Hey, but I want to I want to highlight your ministry because you're doing some mm-hmm. great stuff. And uh, you, everywhere I look, I've got this. I see this. St- sit up a little taller so I can see that cool shirt you're wearing. So it looks yeah, like man, 300. You know, 300, the movie 300. You got the hat <laughs> yeah. 300. You got the behind you. You've got our men 300. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what this is and how. And our guy, I'm sure it's something with ministry. How can yeah. our guys get keyed into what you're doing and this cool Spartan 300 thing? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, the great John Wesley said that if you give me 300 men who love God, hate sin, um, fear nothing but Christ and claim to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified, he said, I will set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. That was a vision God gave me when I was come, went to a speaking engagement down in El Paso, Texas, that birthed the 300 within our ministry. And what I realized is that John Wesley never found the 300. Yeah. And neither will I. We can recruit men all day long, thousands of guys, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're part of the 300. And so what is the 300? We're trying to disciple men who have that mentality that I love God. I hate sin. I fear nothing but my God. And I claim to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified. And the thing is, it's hard to have men who are, quote, I call sold out, S-O-U-L-E-D, for Christ. But what we created is an organization that we help men win at what matters most. And that's loving, you said that 100%, that one, that target, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that you have a personal, intimate relationship with him, loving and leading your family well, living your God-given purpose in your career, your ministry, on your job 
taking it to the marketplace and leaving a lasting legacy for the next generation. What we're talking about fathering yeah. the next generation is coming behind us. And we do that in the, the, the area of community through connection and building accountability bonds, man training and development, coaching and counseling to help guys with their past trauma. Because if you're going to try to, I try to outrun my trauma, but if you're going to try to bury something, you better make sure it's dead first. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be like a doggone zombie coming back after you, chasing you down. And I had to eventually deal with that. And a lot of men just think, okay, that was in my past. I don't have to deal with it anymore. No, just make sure it's been dealt with because what you don't deal with is going to deal with you. And so we provide all of that in that community to help create these disciples who will go make disciples of the next generation. That's the Real Men 300. If they want to find out more about it, just go to realmenconnect.com. Think about this. Real men do what? They connect. Go to realmenconnect.com and you'll see a tab that says Real Men 300 and they can find out more about what we do. Well, I think that's outstanding. So, guys, hey, before we uh, let you go, guys, what what is your boots on the ground to, today? What do we want you to do in response to what you've heard uh, Dr. Martin talk about? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back through our podcast, go back through your life, and I want you to identify that one area where you as a dad can grow. Mm-hmm. Just one area. Where can you get better as a dad? And if you don't know what it is, hey, ask one of your kids. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Or, they'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, or if you really want the truth, ask your wife. So, ask your wife. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, and then start working on it, guys. Become the dad that God has called you to be. So, Joe, thanks so much, man. It's always such a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the show. God bless you, buddy. Jim, I love you, bro. Thank you for everything, man. And hey, we're going to hook up. If I got to come to Oregon, that's what it's going to be. Well, I've got right, a thing. Man. I might I'll, to, I'll I'll reach out to you. I've got a thing I'm thinking about. So we'll figure this out. Yeah, so hey, I know guys, you always you always thinking big. You even think bigger than I do. So whatever it is you th- you're thinking about, include me in on it. Oh, I will for <laughs> sure. I, I will for sure, guys. Hey guys, make sure you head over to menintherena.org, grab your free copy of my book, tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters, and sign up to join one of our many virtual teams by clicking the join our program button now. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.